What is happening, everyone? Welcome again to The Window, Canada's sports betting podcast. Ahead on today's episode of The Window, the NFL Draft Preview. I'll break down how to prepare for the NFL Showcase event and the difference between betting it and betting a game. How do we parse through the information that's out there and apply that to betting on an event where the decision makers are incentivized to keep things secret? Then I'll run down how best to manage your bankroll, where I think there's value in shifting what bets to make for the first round as we aim to enjoy a fun night. Plus, we'll get in a little let's do that hockey. It's time to head to the window. Let's go. Welcome to The Window. I'm your host, Matt Russell. Fun episode today, the NFL Draft Preview. And of course, why is it fun? Because the NFL Draft is fun. That's fundamentally why people really, really enjoy that. And I could probably increase the listenership by putting NFL in the title of every episode of this podcast and doing daily draft updates by picking a team and going 32 days of just NFL Draft, NFL Draft. I could just do that with just the NFL in general, even after the draft at any point in the year. And believe me, I get it. You know, it's nuts how NFL fandom is. That's, uh, you know, my bread and butter when it comes to betting. It's the biggest thing that I do when it comes to the contests and that sort of thing. Two-time casher in the super contest. It's the thing that's circled on my calendar. You know, and even in these trying times the last couple of years, trying to figure out how to get out of here and fly to Vegas to sign up is kind of the biggest thing on my calendar on uh, any given year. So we do this podcast now, and you go, why now, right? Uh, And it's pretty simple. One, you know, we're trying to find a sweet spot of when there's a lot of availability market-wise as far as what are the bets, right? Because if we did it a month ago, you'd have like six props widely available, many of them, you know, the who's going first overall, who's going second overall, that are like minus 50,000 at this point. Now, you know, six weeks ago, Trevor Lawrence was minus 3,000 to be, you know, first pick overall. Now he's, you know, minus 20,000, minus 50,000, which of course means you have to put that much down in order to win a hundred bucks. Now, the key to this whole thing when it comes to the sportsbook side of thing is that these limits are incredibly small. So it's not like you can even just throw down uh, $10,000 to win 100 if you just wanted that short-term investment to turn around 100 bucks because we know Trevor Lawrence going first overall is a lock, right? And why we have, you know, why we're not waiting until draft day? Well, there's still some possible um, you know, things that can happen that can change prices that, you know, can get us a good price now versus later. And so, you know, we don't want to wait until the day of when all of the bets are now at minus 1000, if that's, you know, something that could potentially happen. And, you know, we want to look now at the media's treatment of the draft versus the betting community, right? Because we see all these mock drafts that come out in March by, you know, non-betting entities, and a lot of it is just for clicks in the, you know, in the NFL landscape, in the NFL, you know, fan communities, like just wanting to find out, you know, who, who their team is going to take. And, you know, you get sort of all of the kind of hot take type stuff like what Trey Lance falls to the Patriots. Crazy. Oh, this team's trading up crazy. Like click, 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 click. And, you know, the betting community is a different entity. And so 
you know, you can make the case that the betting entity, as I always do, knows more about what's going to happen, whether it's an individual game or whether it's an event like the draft, because money has to be put behind it, right? I can just make a mock draft right now, throw it together, put it up online, and, you know, maybe it's got some hot trades or some wild, you know, takes as far as who's going where, and it gets a bunch of clicks. But if I'm not putting my money up behind it, you know, who cares, right? And so anybody can just throw a, 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 a mock draft up. And so, you know, that being said, again, low limits, this thing's not that much different than like WrestleMania or Royal Rumble, where certain people know what's going to happen. So the limits have to be low, there can't be a possibility of corruption when it comes to that sort of thing. Because this is an information market. And <clears throat> when we're talking about an information market, we have to, you know, sort of factor in that the concept of misinformation or disinformation, right? So we make these mock drafts, I shouldn't say we, but like the powers that be, the people who are connected, they make these mock drafts and they're all different, right? There's a hundred mock drafts out there, some that you can kind of rely on from a credible source, others, you know, people just doing it for fun and where, you know, you need to know sort of what the difference between the two are. And we talked obviously about the clickbait element as well. And so when we're talking about information, even the people who are plugged in are also kind of being used by these teams. Now think about it this way, right? Think about the smoke screens in even just your fantasy football league, right? Last year I came into my fantasy football auction and I made an announcement that I was not going to take an offensive player from the AFC East, knowing full well that my quarterback target was Josh Allen and I wanted him at a really good price. I ended up getting him for $2 and I won the league. Now, did anybody do anything differently because I announced that I wasn't taking anybody in the AFC East? Maybe not. Maybe not one team in the league. Maybe not one manager paid attention. But if one manager paid attention, that bit of misinformation that got them thinking twice was obviously, you know, could have been to my benefit. So why not try it? So when it comes to the NFL, if you have, you know, people in your pocket that you can leak information to that's going to be beneficial to you, that might inspire a trade, that might inspire someone to, you know, spend a little more time on this player or that player, anything that gives you a competitive advantage, whether it's before a game or before a draft that can change the course of your franchise is worth doing. So why wouldn't you do that? So on the flip side, as a better, why would I believe everything that is said? And we'll get to sort of one of the more, you know, obvious examples, and that being the Mac Jones situation and who's going to go at number three. We'll talk about that in a little in a little bit here. One thing to sort of mention as well, this podcast and, you know, um, the bets made around it isn't an evaluation of players. I'm not sitting here watching tape. Obviously, I watch college football a great deal. So, you know, I know of many of these players. This is a fun draft for people who watch college football, who know a lot of these guys. The one sort of downside is the guys who opted out for this season, you know, so we didn't get a season of watching Jamar Chase or Micah Parsons, et cetera, et cetera. It's, you know, I'm not a doctor. I don't know what this situation means for Justin Fields with regards to his, you know, epilepsy or potential epilepsy or whatever. Um, seems like, you know, players have played through this. Seems like, you know, there's a chance it's not even a thing that he even has anymore, that he's sort of worked past. You know, again, not a doctor, don't know. So, you know, 
the idea of going, okay, well, you know, this affects his draft stock this way or that way or not at all. I don't know the answer to that, right? All we're trying to do is make the best bets possible given um, the options that we have. And of course, that's one of the first things that we need to talk about as well, pricing, right? So with regards to mock drafts, I don't look at them. Um, you know, I should say I scan, I scan them, but I don't look at them for the purposes of making a bet. I will make my own little mock draft, but you have to understand you know, who are you supposed to trust when it comes to the mock draft, right? And like I said, the misinformation that could be thrown around there. And what if I just did a mock draft? Are you supposed to just trust my mock draft? Like that wouldn't make a ton of sense because like I said, I'm not connected in the NFL as far as, you know, having sources and people telling me who they're going to draft. I don't know that anybody really is, right? Like I said, I think people are being used by and large. And here's the other thing. All right. What are people basing on their mock drafts, even if they are connected, even if they have a really good understanding of, you know, talent evaluation, et cetera, et cetera. Are they doing what they think those teams should do? Are they doing what the teams have told them that they may do? Are, you know, anybody can just look at a team's roster and you can probably do it. And it's probably a pretty good exercise to grab a list, you know, of the draft in the draft order and sort of go through and go, okay, what are these teams needs? This team's need, this team, this need, and then kind of work your way through the draft doing it that way, right? But that assumes rational decision-making when it comes to the NFL front offices. And what do we think when it comes to NFL front offices? What do we think when it comes to NFL head coaching? Well, we think they're all kind of dumb, right? We think they're all just kind of idiots, right? We, we spend Thursdays and Sunday nights and Monday nights on Twitter making fun of all these organizations. We spend all this time talking about the Bears trading up for Mitch Trubisky and this team doing this and this team doing that. And we just don't even think these people are doing this correctly anyway. So why should we assume rational, you know, front office work? when we can't assume rational anything else when it comes to these guys. And if they're going to release information, they're going to only release information where there's no reason not to, right? So we know that Trevor Lawrence is going to be the first overall pick because there's no reason not to announce that or sort of, you know, leak that, if you will. So when it comes to all of that stuff, we need to talk about how to best, you know, some best practices, if you will, when it comes to betting. So the first one is price, 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 right? Have different outs. That's the same case as it is always. So, you know, I'm not expecting you to open another sportsbook account just because of the NFL draft, but it's just another example of a situation. We'll have a couple of those coming here shortly where prices, even in the same sportsbook, are actually not equal. So when it comes to specifically the draft, give yourself two ways to win a bet. And what I mean by that is, you know, we look at these draft, uh, you know, mock drafts and we go, okay, um, you know, this guy is supposed to go here to this team. And that's fine. A lot of people think that's going to be the case. You know, a lot of people think Patrick Sertain's going to the Dallas Cowboys at 10. And so under 10 and a half seems like a good bet. But of course, it's the NFL draft. It's unpredictable. We have all sorts of potential misinformation. Maybe Jerry Jones is sort of messing with us and he doesn't really, you know, want certain at 10. And then he doesn't go there. Okay, well, what do we do now, right? Is there a backup plan for this? Whether it's, you know, it's a guy who you think is going four, his number's five and a half. And even if he doesn't go four, he could go five and a half. Maybe it's a guy who, if he doesn't go to that team at four, he's a guy who can be traded up for in order to um, win your bet, right? So there's two different ways that you can win. He can go to two different teams. He can go to two different 
um, you know, you can go two different spots in the draft order. You want to have as many outs from that standpoint as possible. You don't want to hitch your wagon to one report of, you know, a guy going to one place. Like, you know, I don't recall um, specifics, but I know last year there was one that, you know, everybody just assumed, I think it was like in the eighth, eighth, um, eighth spot in the, uh, in the first round, everybody just assumed this team liked this guy. And it just wasn't, didn't end up being the case. I believe it was somebody on Tampa. Um, but point is, is don't get locked into the idea of one player going at one place, evaluate the players and sort of understand, okay, this guy could go here. He's also viable to this team who might trade up for him. He's also viable to this team. If he falls one spot, you don't want to be sitting there resting on one name name selection and not have a backup plan secondarily or sort of subsequently with it don't bet on two things at once what i mean by that is right if you have over five, five and a half and under five and a half on a different player and it comes down to you know uh the fifth pick and you need this one guy to go and the other guy goes you could then lose both bets at the same time Right. You don't want to have, you know, you don't have to get this draft order exactly correctly. You're not going to get an award for getting this draft order exactly correctly. Even these mock drafters out there, right? Like they're not going to get an award for it. And if they do, it's probably, you know, if they do because they've won, if they, if you will, if they got the mock draft correct, you know, it's probably out of luck. Somebody out there in all these permutations has to do it best, right? So again, don't feel like you need to be like, okay, this guy's going three, this guy's going four, this guy's going five, because that can get blown up so quickly. And you're taking one entity and you can choose how much you bet on these individual things. So instead of betting the same kind of thing happening, you know, the same draft order three different ways, just, you know, take that money and Put it on the one thing that you're most sure of that gives you multiple chances to win. Next up, follow the numbers, right? Compare individual lines. We've got all of these numbers open. Another reason why we waited until this week to do it. Circa over the weekend, Circa Sports opens up um, basically a ton of player props over under you know the place that they're going to get drafted in the draft. And now we can sort of shape and we see, you know, lines move and guys moving from 150 to 86 and, you know, 24 to 17 and 14 back to 26. Like we see sort of the market shaping this. And so, you know, those market moves, especially further down the draft, those mean something as far as people being educated about, you know, what um, you know teams think of certain players. Because again, you could... You know, if you're the circus sports, you need to know what's going on with every single player. And so you're going to make some mistakes. It's why sports books hate booking the draft, because there's going to be mistakes out there. And, you know, again, that's why the limits are what they are, so that the, the mistakes don't crush a sports book. They're just kind of annoying, right? These sports books almost never actually make a profit on the draft because, you know, for a couple of different reasons. One, if you know everything there is to know about Kellen Mond, and a sports book needs to know Kellen Mond and 65, 100 other guys, then there's a decent chance that you're going to be able to focus in on the Kellen Mond bet. You only need to make one bet, right? You need to make one bet. They need to put up 100 of them, and you can sort of pick your spots. And so one guy over in Texas bets on Kellen Mond. Another guy over in you know Florida bets on, you know, Kadarius Tony, something along those lines, right? They're specializing in their own individual players, right? It's not like there's one entity just going through and betting a hundred different props. It's more like a hundred different entities betting on one prop. That's probably actually somewhere in between, but you get my point. 
But the point is here, follow the numbers, right? Follow where this market, these markets are headed. So as much as you might like turn on NFL Network and sort of get, you know, their opinion on it, frankly, their opinion doesn't matter. Their opinion isn't moving lines. Their opinion isn't as informed as the people in sort of the back alleys, if you will, of NFL information. And so compare those inf inform uh, that information, those individual lines to the numbers that you have at your disposal in your sports book. And I don't mean specifically, okay, well, this guy's 86 and a half in the draft and my book has him 84 and a half. No, I really just mean compare the numbers um, in order to create your own bet. So again, we have stuff like top cornerback drafted, right? And you've got Patrick Sertain, he's the favorite and he his number's 10 and a half overall. Well, J.C. Horn is like 12 and a half, 13 and a half. That's not that far behind and something, you know, crazy could happen and J.C. Horn could go ahead of Patrick Sertain and it's really just him moving up two spots ahead of Sertain. And if you're getting a plus 300 type price here, I think that's kind of worth it when it comes to, you know, evaluating that that spot, right? Same thing with offensive linemen, defensive linemen, linebackers, etc., right? If there's a guy who's favored to be the top uh, linebacker and there's nobody within sort of 15 to 20 picks of him, you know, again, compare that price with top linebacker markets, right? How much more are you going to have to pay for him to just be better than the next guy versus him to have to go up or down, you know, you know, Micah Parsons, for example, right? We'll talk about him a little bit more here in a little bit, but 11 and a half to 12 and a half, right? I don't know that he's going 11. I don't know that he, if he's going 13, but, you know, I do think that he's probably the first linebacker overall. But if there's a guy who you sort of hear is, you know, maybe moving up draft boards, if Parsons falls to 17, right? He still might be the first linebacker picked overall, but there's also a possibility that somebody jumps ahead of him. So you have to sort of factor in, okay, what do we want to do relative to the um, positional players here? And so, um, you know, use the odds to your advantage. You could even do a mock draft just using, you know, over under, um, you know, type numbers, right? Okay, well, um, Justin Fields is three and a half right now. You know, Mac Jones is nine and a half. You know, the interesting thing here is that, you know, Trey Lance, six and a half. Well, okay, so the market seems to think that's the order of operations for these three guys. Now, is that because they think Mac Jones is going to go in the top five? Who knows, right? We look at Kyle Pitts, Jamar Chase, Penny Sewell, all these different options here in the top five. Well, you know, again, what if there's a trade up for a quarterback? So there's a bunch of different stuff that could possibly happen. So fundamentally, you want to have as much information as possible. And my point is, is don't waste your time on, you know, the matrix of mock drafts and finding 10, 15 mock drafts and averaging that out and doing all of this stuff. When that's kind of already done for you when these markets are built and these bets are being placed. You can use these prices to be more successful in betting your numbers. So now you're saying, okay, I get it. Let's get into specifics though. Who are you talking about? What are you talking about? What are the bets we're supposed to look for? What are we supposed to look for in the next week that might tell us something uh, about this draft and about what we can expect and about maybe where we can find some value? And we'll start from the top. And the top here in this draft is not Trevor Lawrence and it is not Zach Wilson. I'm not saying those two aren't getting picked. I'm saying it's because those two are getting picked in those two spots, though it's interesting that we've all just assumed that it's Zach Wilson going number two. You never know with the New York Jets, especially, you know, this new regime. Now it's interesting because the Jets regime is a former 49ers regime member that 
you know, they've probably told San Francisco, okay, we are taking this, you know, player, right? Like it's a matter of consideration. And so, you know, Robert Sala, for example, obviously defensive coordinator for San Francisco, he's got a lot to sort of owe that organization. And so there's probably an element of, yes, we are taking Zach Wilson. No, that has not been made public in sort of a very technical way. That's sort of one of these underlying pieces of information that can be told, right? The Jets aren't trading out of the number two spot there's no reason for them to you know, not tell people. There's no reason for them not to tell San Francisco what they're doing. So this draft effectively, as you know by now probably, starts in earnest at the three position with San Francisco. And that's the most interesting part. And listen, within the last week, I've heard people on the exact same show, two, three different guests, say that Fields has got to be the, is going to be the pick here. Mac Jones obviously was the rumor for a really long time, and people bet that because they were trying to get ahead of the information. And I think that is, listen, it might be Mac Jones. That might end up working out for those people. But that's a classic example of just trying to tail really early on information. And if you're the 49ers, why wouldn't you sort of just throw out a smokescreen? We like Mac Jones, okay? They're not saying anything definitive. They're just saying they like Mac Jones. Anybody can just say that. Anybody can say Matt, I like Mac Jones. And so now everybody sort of looks at it and people like chase after it. And Mac Jones becomes the favorite to go number three. And everybody sort of sits around and looks at it and goes like, wait a sec, why is Mac Jones going number three? Like that doesn't really make a ton of sense. And then, you know, Fields has his pro day and, uh, you know, Trey Lance has his pro day, and all of a sudden, like, we start getting enamored with, with each and every one of those guys. So I'll full disclosure you here, and I'll tell you, I hopped in at Fields at plus 150, because I thought there was some value, and I thought it was going to move to closer to, um, you know, pick them, maybe it would become a favorite, who knows, right? And at that point, you can sort of do things when it comes to that. And so I got him at plus 150, and sure enough, He's available right now at minus 210 in one spot. He is plus 100 in other spots. And you can see, right, the value of being able to shop around and look for the best price available. I even saw that Circa has moved his under 3.5 to plus 160. So now we're right back to where we started from with the plus 150, except it's still available at minus 210 in a place. Now, that's obviously not a bet to make on fields, but that means that there's value creation elsewhere. And whether you believe it's Mac Jones or whether you believe it's Trey Lance, that's the next possible uh, nominee in this spinning wheel of who are the 49ers going to take, you know, that's up to you, right? And what you sort of risk or sort of how you're feeling uh, and who you're trusting with regards to their information. So you look at this and you've got different options. And for me, I don't necessarily know that Fields is going to get you know, the play here. But what I am going to look at is I'm going to look at the over under numbers for these guys. And Fields is three and a half. And, you know, again, like I said, minus 120 on either side in some places, but Circa has moved him to plus 160 on the under. And then you go, okay, well, who's the next quarterback? And based on what we've heard about the idea of Mac Jones going third, you would think it would be Mac Jones that has the next lowest, and of course, lowest meaning highest in the draft the lowest over-under number. He does not. His number is nine and a half, and Trey Lance's is six and a half. So, you know, you go, okay, well, I guess what that means is that Mac Jones has a chance to go number three, but if he doesn't go number three, he's going to then precipitously fall potentially 
to even worse than nine and a half. And why nine is an important number here is because that's where the Denver Broncos sit at nine. And so he feels like how could Mac Jones ever fall past all the way through uh, and out of the top 10, essentially, right? Like that seems like an unlikely um, circumstance here. That being said, he is sitting there at again, a nine and a half over under, not necessarily a ton of juice. It's not like the under nine and a half is massively favored. And so what that tells me is that I don't think Mac Jones is going to the San Francisco 49ers. And then you look at Trey Lance's number and his number being six and a half. And his number is six and a half, and it's heavily shaded to the under. Under minus 150, under minus 160, which means the market believes that Trey Lance is going to be drafted in the top six selections. Now, pull up many a mock draft, and you're sort of sitting there looking around going, okay, where is Lance supposed to be? Well, San Francisco, if we think he's, you know, Fields, Jones, obviously there's a quarterback somewhere getting picked at number three. But then we get to Atlanta, Cincinnati, and Miami. None of those teams appear to be looking for a quarterback. So now all of a sudden, Lance has to be, in order to be selected in the top six, there has to either be a trade or he has to be selected in uh, in that spot for San Francisco. Well, okay, I, there's two different options there. That's something that we look for when betting under six and a half. But now we go and we start comparing things around. And if we can find a plus 300 uh, plus 375 specifically over at bet 365 right now that Trey Lance goes number three specifically yes you're taking out the idea of a four five or six um, selection right whether it's you know pro probably by a trade-up because again I don't think Atlanta Cincinnati or Miami are going to pick a quarterback but two of those three certainly have a possibility of trading out but at plus 375 versus, you know, sort of minus 160 to go in the top six, like I would sort of, you know, think that there's a better chance that he goes number three than he does four or five or six. Now, again, could be wrong, but it's worth the difference in the odds, right? I'd rather take a half unit and try it at plus 375 than try a full unit that Lance is going to go in the top six because I'm going to need a couple of different things to happen for him to go four or five or six, right? I'm going to need a draft day trade not the easiest thing to get. And two, I'm gonna need a draft day trade for him specifically, which again, if you take all these quarterbacks, proven, unproven, he's sort of the least proven one. And so, you know, it might be a situation where like, if you're going to trade up for somebody, you want him to be sort of as proven as you possibly can get. And whether that ends up being Fields, Jones, or Lance, you know, who knows at this point in time. So, that's, that's the big question with regards to the, you know, number three spot. That's the fun thing that everybody's talking about. Now, we have to get into some of these other things that might be maybe not the most sexy thing necessarily, but also, you know, um, purveyors of what could possibly happen in the draft. And obviously, the next pick is the Atlanta Falcons here at number four. And you go, okay, like, isn't it time to get the quarterback of the future? Well, as we know, you know, we don't really do that in, you know, unless you're the Green Bay Packers and you're picking somebody later in the first round. You don't really pick, uh, you know, a guy in the top five when you have a quarterback that's currently in place. Now, we can sit here and argue about the quality of that quarterback in Matt Ryan. I'm not a Matt Ryan guy by any stretch of the imagination, but I understand that you can get a year, maybe two out of him and, Based on the salary cap these days and the relative, you know, cheapness now of a first-round quarterback, you want to wait as long as you can in order to grab that 
quarterback. And so it doesn't make any sense to have him and sit and wait behind Matt Ryan. You're never going to be able to trade Matt Ryan. So the Falcons are essentially in this position where they have to find somebody else to augment their chances this season. They are essentially forced to go for it this year, which is kind of, you know, a weird thing to sort of think about, but it's kind of true. And so this fourth spot here is kind of this interesting destination for a team that might need a quarterback. But are they going to be able to draft up, you know, trade up and draft a quarterback? So you go and you look and you're at who who needs a quarterback, who's willing to trade up. Well, Detroit, you know, sort of needs a quarterback, you would think. But again, that one feels like it's sort of the opposite situation from the Falcons, where they're going to want to wait, give it a year with Jared Goff, probably bottom out, and then draft a quarterback high next year. So rather than get the third or fourth best quarterback in this draft, maybe get the best quarterback in the next draft. Carolina just signed Sam Darnold. He's 23 years old. Again, don't love Sam Darnold myself, never have coming out of college, too many turnovers, all of that stuff. But again, Joe Brady, you know, guru, right? He might believe that he can change uh, Sam Darnold, so it doesn't make any sense for them to trade up to draft a quarterback or draft a quarterback even in that slot in the uh, number eight spot. Denver, again, has to feel like, you know, we're sitting here at number nine. We can probably get a first-round quarterback at one of these top five guys if we just sit and wait. Somebody's going to fall to us because of what we just talked about with some of these other picks, not needing a quarterback. The interesting thing is, like, the teams that really could use another quarterback here, New England in the 15 spot, Washington, Chicago, even Indy in 19, 20, and 21, it takes a boatload these days to move up and draft a quarterback. So that seems like an outside type of a situation. But if you're sitting there and you're Atlanta, you do have this one advantage beyond anybody else. And that brings us to the concept of the unicorn in the draft. Obviously a phrase that we use a lot when it comes to the NBA. And now everybody's kind of a unicorn where everybody's seven feet tall and can run like a gazelle, all of that sort of thing. In the NFL, in this NFL draft, there is one singular unicorn in the entire draft. And that's Pitts. Pitts, the tight end from Florida, is an absolute stud. This was evident. You know, again, the fun part of this draft is a lot of these guys were on our TV every single Saturday or most Saturdays when games weren't getting canceled, that is. So we know what these guys are about. And this guy is incredible. And you go, what? Like, it's a tight end. You don't move up. You don't draft a tight end, you know, in the first round. You don't draft it in the top five. You don't do this, that, or whatever. Well, ask yourself if you are a Las Vegas, you know, Raiders fan or you've ever seen the Las Vegas Raiders play or have had to go up against the Las Vegas Raiders. Tell me what Waller does for their offense. It's a pretty big deal, right? Catching 10, 15 passes and just a guy who's completely unguardable. We love Patrick Mahomes. He's incredible. But who's nasty out there? And it's Travis Kelsey as far as his uh, you know, targets are concerned. The most reliable guy on the field for him is Travis Kelsey. We've just gone through a decade of Gronk where he was the difference maker across the board. And it isn't just a fantasy football thing. This stuff matters. And when you have these freak athletes that are willing to play and able to play tight end, you don't just let them go. So when we talk about, okay, there, there are two different ways that we can win a bet here. Way number one is, you know, unless you're the Raiders and the Chiefs and the 49ers, you kind of 
need a tight end like you could you're getting sort of ahead of the game it's like the old days in fantasy football where you'd have rob gronkowski and nobody else did and that was your massive advantage over you know every other team in the league it's the same thing in the nfl so do the falcons go ahead and make that move on pits I would say that they probably should. Um, you know, they don't necessarily have any other glaring holes that fit the fourth spot. Now, again, you trade down, you can get all sorts of accumulation with regards to picks and be able to get deeper and fill a bunch of holes with maybe not a unicorn type player. And again, if your plan is to use Matt Ryan for next year, maybe even a year after that, give him as many weapons as possible. And even if, you know, it doesn't really work out, they don't have a great season next season, they want to walk away from Matt Ryan next year or the year after that, it's not like Pitts is going anywhere. It's not like he's not going to be awesome two years from now or four years from now or five years from now. He is going to be awesome the whole time. So this is still a decent selection when it comes to a rebuild. Let's say he doesn't get selected here and Atlanta trades down. Right? And you go, okay, here comes the Pitts pick. Here we go. What? There's a trade to announce. Okay, blah, 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 moves up. And they pick a quarterback. Who knows who that is? It's the guy essentially who doesn't get picked in the three hole. Uh, you know, Mac Jones, Trey Lance, Fields, who knows? And now you're sitting there, you're going like, oh, man. And so Pitts' number is five and a half in the market. So now you have one more chance to get selected here for Pitts. Well, who would look pretty good in a Cincinnati Bengal uniform, a team that if you can name their tight end right now, I'll give you a billion dollars. Um, you know, like this is a glaring hole for them. And of course, you know, when we look at these markets, they're based on, you know, a lot of them are based on what do the mock drafts say, right? The mock drafts, the mock drafts, the mock drafts. And they have Panay Sewell going there and they have Jamar Chase going there because he's a former teammate of Joe Burrow and certainly Chase, you know, was excellent and all of that stuff but jamar chase is not a unicorn right jamar chase is probably maybe the best wide receiver in the draft but we don't even know that we have a couple of guys from alabama here who are coming up you know in the top 10 adjacent area that might be better than jamar chase for all we know right and of course joe burrow's gonna say like i love jamar chase but if joe burrow takes three seconds to turn the tape on and see kyle pitts he's gonna be like oh, yeah, that would be pretty cool. That would be pretty cool to have on my team. And it's not like they don't have Tyler Boyd on the outside. And by the way, wide receiver, you know, is a pretty replaceable position. Tight end with that level of talent isn't very replaceable. So that's the difference between Pitts and Chase. So, you know, I can see Chase falling, not for any other reason, but everybody jumped into the pool with regards to quarterbacks. Everybody got in on that and then, Pitts as a unicorn he ends up going and it starts to not snowball necessarily maybe there's a team that likes Devontae Smith better than Jamar Chase maybe there's a team that likes uh, Jalen Waddle better than Jamar Chase right and so it's not that he falls because of anything other than the fact that you know we just let's take the Heisman Trophy winner or let's take Jalen Waddle who might have won the Heisman Trophy if he didn't get hurt right so there's a possibility that he slides because he's not that unicorn level of of talent at a position of scarcity especially in this draft this isn't a draft that has three four five tight ends that could possibly go in the first round so we talked earlier about pricing well there's obviously pricing when it comes to like a fields bet or is he minus 210 to be in the top three is he plus 150 to be in the top three right that's a pretty big discrepancy smaller discrepancy for pits over at bet 365 the same website under five and a half for him is minus 150. Makes a lot of sense for reasons that we just talked about. 
But if you go over, they have a new market and it's top five and there's a top 10 market as well, but he's minus 125 to be in the top five. Well, you're sitting there and you're going, hang on a sec, Matt. Minus 125, minus top five versus under five and a half. That's the same bet. Yeah, it is the same bet. And you're getting it at a discount. So, and we've seen that the price discovery element of this, right? He's been minus five and a half for a while. Enough people have come in, bet on the under, to, for him to go in the top 25, or excuse me, so that for the top five, so that they now go, so that now the market says, okay, well, we need to throw some juice on this. We need to throw, you know, the under five and a half at minus 150. And then they go and they open up the top five market a couple weeks later, and they, for some reason, don't notice that the same exact bet outcome is minus 150 and just a couple clicks away from their own website. We're not even comparing websites at this point. So top five is minus 125. I've already gone ahead and I've bet that for Kyle Pitts because again, I think there's multiple teams when we're, you know, it's one thing when you talk quarterbacks and you go, this team needs a quarterback, this team needs a quarterback, et cetera, et cetera. Every team outside of again, San Francisco, Kansas City and Las Vegas could really use a guy like Pitts. So under five and a half, no, because top five is available at minus 125. So a nice little example of grabbing uh, a price. Next up, Cincinnati in the five spot, right? What should Cincinnati do? Well, you and I are sitting here going, you know what? Let's not get Joe Burrow killed out there. We just did that. They made it, what, 10 games, 11 games, 12 games before Joe Burrow got his knee absolutely eviscerated. So again, assumption of rational coaching, irrational decision-making. Here's the problem. There's about two uh, offensive linemen in this draft that people think are pretty good. And it seems like no one's really all that psyched about either of them. And when it comes to offensive linemen, again, the fun part about the NFL draft here is that positions really matter, right? That's why it's fun, because you could be in the 23rd pick and get like the second best player at a position, which is why this draft's more fun than the NBA draft. It's more fun than the NHL draft, et cetera, et cetera. And so you're sitting there and you're going, like, yeah, they should take the top offensive lineman and we all decided back in you know the fall that Panay Sewell was the best offensive lineman available to be selected in this draft now again you take in enough coverage and I've never said don't take in draft coverage just take everything in with a grain of salt and when you talk and listen to the uh, talent evaluator people out there they're sort of wondering whether Panay Sewell is really this generational level of an offensive uh, lineman. In some cases, they've talked to teams and they mentioned things like, well, maybe Slater is actually better than Sewell. And there's no reason, this is different than like San Francisco leaking that they like Mac Jones, right? This is sort of off the record type stuff. And as you know, I've heard it from a couple of different people where you go, huh, maybe the evaluation on Sewell you know, is more just something that we kind of created. We decided that Cincinnati needs an offensive lineman. We're, we're not wrong in that speculation necessarily, but maybe he's not for them. Maybe he, they don't like him necessarily. And maybe they're wrong. That doesn't matter, right? Because we don't get refunded because we were right about them should have taken, you know, Panay Sewell. That's not how this works. And it's the Cincinnati Bengals, by the way. So if we're talking assumption of rational decision-making, like, that's not exactly, you know, the ideal team to sort of focus on. And so, you know, we talked about what could happen potentially if Atlanta didn't take Pitts and how Cincinnati would, you know, it would be hard pressed not to, you would think, to take Pitts there. And, you know, 
again, that then changes things for Sewell, that changes things for Chase, and now all of a sudden they're getting kicked down one rung. And when you look at their numbers, Sewell five and a half is over under, and his over is juiced to minus 160, minus 170, depending on where you look. Whereas Chase is under, uh, is juiced at minus 200 because everybody just assumes Miami is going to grab Chase. Well, what if there's a run on quarterbacks where somebody needs to jump in uh, up ahead of, you know, maybe they think Detroit, Carolina are actually going to draft a quarterback, right? Maybe they hop in and jump ahead of Miami. Miami certainly no, um, you know, shrinking violet when it comes to drafting, uh, excuse me, trading in the draft. So, you know, is there a possibility that Jamar Chase doesn't go in the top six? And I think the answer to that is yes. Now, am I looking to bet that? No, because I think the juice here getting up to minus 200, that actually means something. Now, we're going to talk a little bit and we'll have different examples of, okay, well, why is the juice here at minus 200, minus 210, minus 220? Why is the juice here at minus 160, right? And the juice in general being an indicator that the market likes one thing or another. Now, it's one thing to say, sort of say, okay, you know, this third pick, where's the juice lying? Where's the money coming in? All of that sort of thing, because that's getting the focus, right? And then, you know, top five picks also getting a focus. We talked about pits moving to minus 150 in that market and all of that sort of thing. So I sort of trust the juice here because it's high up enough in the draft that that means something. So, you know, again, maybe Miami's sole focus, which should be to get a playmaker, for Tua, maybe that's the case here, right? Maybe that's Chase, maybe that's not, but to me, the juice indicates that it is. And it doesn't look like they're looking for an offensive lineman in this spot either, because by the way, they have another pick later in the first round at 18. And so when it comes to offensive linemen, this is a position that can slide easily in the draft because these guys all kind of, I don't want to say look the same, but you know, there, it's, an, it's a relatively anonymous position. It's a position that is sort of a grown man position. So extrapolating what a guy who is 310 pounds has done to other college kids and taking that and having to deal with the top edge rushers in the entire league can be an incredibly sketchy process and very dicey in trying to figure out, you know, how this guy projects. We see a lot of failures in the offensive line from top picks. We don't talk about them the same way that we talk about quarterback failures and and busts, if you will, because they're offensive linemen. And maybe you move a guy to guard and he has a 10-year career or whatever, whatever. But in a lot of cases, these top pick offensive linemen don't necessarily work out. And so when you combine the fact that they're just as likely not to work out as a quarterback selection, and they're not nearly as sort of a sexy pick as picking a wide receiver, picking a quarterback, etc., why would you sort of go out of your way to do it? You need to have an evaluation level there. And so Miami's sitting there in this catbird seat. Maybe they can trade. Maybe they can get more assets. Maybe they can pick a generational talent here for uh, Tua. You know, they're not going to take an offensive lineman. And so I think that's why we see Sewell fall down. Now you get into Detroit's area here, Detroit and Carolina. And these are teams that obviously could use a bunch of different stuff. I mean, Carolina has some pretty good tools from a uh, offensive standpoint. Um, the defense is getting better and better. Chin, uh, so a couple of the guys on the defensive line. So I still think they need defense. That's what I kind of put in. Um, I would look for them to, you know, again, theory of rational decision-making. I think corner is an interesting spot 
for them here. Now, again, I don't see that in many mock drafts, so I might be way out on a ledge here. Um, their needs, offensive tackle certainly makes a ton of sense, so maybe this is where Sewell ends up. I think if you're in the eighth spot in your Carolina and he falls to you there, Slater being the other guy, right? I think Detroit and Carolina could easily go back to back when it comes to offensive linemen. Detroit, who are they going to take? They got holes all over the place, right? This is a team that's just been taken over uh, by Chris Spielman and you know their new head coach is ready to bite people's kneecaps and does that feel like a organization that's going to make their first pick a wide receiver when they're not really all that certain about their quarterback at this point in time doesn't really make a ton of sense um, but again theory rational uh, decision making but I think we're looking there for Detroit at an offensive line then it just becomes, do they like Sewell better? Do they like Slater better? And to me, that kind of feels like a 50-50 proposition. So for me, first offensive lineman taken, I think, is a really interesting market because the assumption is that Sewell is this guy because everybody thinks he's going to Cincinnati. But again, what if Cincinnati doesn't take him? And so his, again, his market is five and a half minus 160 to the over you could play that you could play that juice but for me i think it's a little bit more interesting to go slater on the first offensive lineman drafted and maybe he hops up and maybe we're talking seven eight maybe carolina you know sneakily likes him maybe detroit ends up taking a wide receiver maybe detroit really likes slater and prefers him over sewell right there's a couple of obviously different options going here where I think Slater is, maybe he's not 50% to go higher than Sewell, but I certainly think it's better than a plus 300 price. I think it's better than 25% chance that he ends up hopping over Sewell because somebody just likes him more. So I think that's kind of an interesting thing to take a half unit or so and throw that on Slater to go higher than Sewell because again, the marketplace is sort of telling you that that is kind of the, uh, the suggestion, if you will, that this is going to be a little bit closer than people think. So as we move down, we don't really know necessarily what's going to happen with Denver, right? Are they going to, you know, try to replace Drew Locke already? Do they believe that things can keep, you know, getting better when it comes to him? So a lot of uncertainty there. Don't really want to mess with that. Obviously, it's interesting that Mac Jones's number is nine and a half. And you think that's a good fit. That, again, makes a ton of sense. Bet the under nine and a half. And, you know, that's that's good enough. For me, I want to take a quick look at Dallas here and the concept of everybody seems to think that Patrick Sertain Jr. is going to Dallas at the 10 spot. His number is 10 and a half. That's effectively a yes, no proposition at this point about whether Sertain is going to Dallas. Uh, doesn't feel like he's going anywhere higher than that. I don't know that a team's going to trade up to scoop Dallas on Patrick Sertain and you know, again, Jerry Jones, bit of a loose lips uh, guy. So, you know, there could be some information out there that, you know, they love Patrick Sertain, Patrick Sertain, Patrick Sertain, right? But again, we've seen before, Jerry gets a little squirrely with some things, whatever, whatever. And I think that's what's keeping this number down. Because when we talk about certainties here, and, you know, I don't know that it's more certain that Jamar Chase goes in the top six than it is Patrick Sertain goes number 10, you know, in the top 10 feels like these things are kind of equal so what is interesting to me here is let's just assume Patrick Sertain goes number 10 the way that Dallas thinks that he should my guy here that I'm interested in is JC Horn certain Sertain's number is 10 and a half Horn's number is 13 and a half so it's pretty tight when it comes to the over under type of a price well, we've got Carolina that needs some defensive help right they've got Jeremy Chin at safety they've got a good defensive line 
It's the NFL, right? The valuations on positions are getting better and better and better. And the valuations on corners are getting raised at this point, right? And so Patrick Sertain, obviously, his dad, Patrick Sertain, longtime NFL corner. Well, J.C. Horn's dad was Joe Horn. So we have two similar situations here where we have like legacy type players here that have kind of credentials before we even flip on the tape. And again, I couldn't tell you who's better at this point in time, but I do know that Denver could use a cornerback. I know that Carolina could use a quarterback. I know that Detroit could use a cornerback. And if none of those teams are infatuated with an offensive lineman, for example, or necessarily need a wide receiver, you know, because of just maybe the situation that they're in, right? Carolina, pretty good offensive collection. of They don't need to take a first-round wide receiver. Denver certainly went to town on wide receivers in the last couple of drafts. Wouldn't make any sense for them to draft a wide receiver. So we don't see a wide receiver popping up here to get into the top 10. I think there's a possibility that J.C. Horn jumps into the top 10 because of, again, how many different teams. If you're sitting there watching the draft and Detroit doesn't take J.C. Horn, you can still go, well, maybe Carolina will. And if Carolina doesn't, you go, well, maybe Denver does because obviously focus on defense, all of that sort of thing, right? And they've always had good corners, but that's sort of gone by the wayside in the last couple of years. You know, they tried A.J. Boye. That didn't really work out, so they need sort of replacements for all of that. He's a possibility, again, especially if things get wacky when it comes to the cornerback uh, quarterback market. And so there's three different spots there where I think J.C. Horn comes into play. Now, do I want to just bet the under on J.C. Horn, lay a little bit of juice here, minus 120 or whatever it is, or do I want to get a little bit friskier here? I do. I want to get a little frisky here. Uh, you can get mega frisky when it comes to first defensive player drafted. He's available at plus 650. So again, you can throw in a little quarter unit on that if you wanted to. Or you could just go first quarterback drafted, which is essentially you know, it's plus 225, plus 250 in the market right now. And that's essentially, does he get picked over Sertain? And again, you know, we hear that D Dallas loves Patrick Sertain. But you never know. Again, does that just mean that Jerry Jones can't contain himself? Or is he talking about the other quarterback, cornerback, where we saw, you know, San Francisco talks about Mac Jones, really wants somebody else. Might be the same thing with Dallas. Do they talk they talk about Patrick Sertain? Maybe they really want JC Horn. Maybe one of these other teams, by the way, Detroit, Carolina, Denver, like maybe they want. Patrick Sertain. We don't know that Dallas is even going to get an opportunity to grab Sertain. But that being said, I think we're close enough here with these sort of 1A, 1B corners that we can take a bit of a chance here at plus uh, 250, or even if you want to get a little friskier again, uh, plus 600 when it comes to top plus 650, actually, when it comes to top uh, defensive player drafted. Because we've seen, okay, very highly offensive player draft. That's part of the reason why this is really fun. Um, now we're getting into the Giants and the Eagles, two teams that desperately need what? Playmakers. Somebody on the outside. The Golden Tates are just not getting it done. The, you know, Slaytons of the world aren't getting it done for the Giants. You know, whatever Philadelphia has run out there in the last couple weeks, right? They try, or a couple of seasons, they tried Jalen Rager. Not saying that he, you know, is a flop necessarily, but we've seen them, you know, they're well aware that they need outside talent uh, in order to help out the offense here. So I think we got two 
guys here from Alabama that are very good candidates to go in that spot. I think they go one, two. I don't have a market available to me for Jalen Waddle to go ahead of Devontae Smith, but I think that's actually an interesting bet if you can find it. Again, Jalen Waddle could have very well won the Heisman if he hadn't gotten hurt, right? He would have been returning all the kicks. He ends up getting hurt, so Smith does. So now he's returning kicks, along with obviously getting the vast majority of the key throws, touchdown catches, deep balls, etc., etc. A lot of, and again, you hear the evaluations, and I'm not, you know, again, there's a difference between listening to people evaluate and listening to sort of the stuff they say that is from you know, non-specific teams versus the, you know, stuff that gets leaked to a specific team. So if somebody says, hey, like I have a bunch of teams here that really like Waddle over Smith, like that's something worth listening to versus, oh, this team likes this team. So parsing out that information, I think is really important. And so, you know, I think both these teams sit there, they wait, um, you know, if Jamar Chase fell to them because Miami liked Waddle or liked Smith, like I think they would be completely fine with that. Um, but again, the point is here, there's a lot of offensive players here. So again, that just makes this Horn versus Sertain thing kind of really more interesting when it comes to first defensive player selected. And so then you get into the Giants and, and Eagles. Who's going to go ahead of who when it comes to wide receivers? You know, again, I don't know that, but I know that sort of from a perspective of, um, you know, general perception is that Smith was going to go ahead. And so he opened nine and a half on his total, uh, his draft placement, if you will. And Waddle was 11 and a half. And now they're equal. And they're both at 11 and a half. So again, this is a thing that feels, um, you know, like a coin flip wasn't uh, lined as a coin flip, but now is starting to get lined as a coin flip. So if you can find a Waddle over Smith thing, I think that would be very, very interesting when it comes to the uh, sort of early tens here of the draft. That wide receiver situation is what makes Miami so interesting because they could totally trade back and still get one of these big name wide receivers, right? And like, isn't that kind of the best case scenario for them? But as we move into the middle rounds here, to me, you know, middle to late rounds here, the questions start to change a little bit because it's easier to trade into the middle. Teams are trading up, back, two spots, three spots, whatever, and trying to parse out who is going to be, um, you know, available or, you know, team need and all of that kind of stuff, right? Like New England sitting there at 15. What if Mac Jones is sliding? Do they hop into 13 to, you know, do something like that? Not something that Bill Belichick necessarily does all the time, but you get into who's the guy who's going to fall that's maybe better than people think. And I think that starts, well, first and foremost with a side of the football. And in a, in a league and in a draft that is offensive heavy and people are sort of climbing and, you know, clamoring here to grab, you know, quarterbacks and wide receivers and then eventually, you know, offensive linemen, the defensive players end up sort of falling backwards. And I think there's a player here in Micah Parsons that people think, you know, really high of from a measurable standpoint, just like a guy who is kind of foolproof um you know in order to be successful like it's you know flop isn't isn't all that likely um but he's an off-ball linebacker which is a position that it gets devalued now how devalued does it get right is he going to fall out of the first round probably not is he going to fall out of the top 20 probably not this feels like a position and a situation where not unlike a couple of years ago with Derwin James, that the Chargers are sitting there and going, you know, we got a bunch of needs here, especially on defense. We, you know, lost some linebackers. Perriman's gone. You know, we're pretty good on the back end, especially if Derwin James comes back. 
pretty good on the defensive line. Um, never really been, you know, with the exception of Bosa, never really been into investing heavily uh, in the defensive line in the draft. But we're getting a guy here who could be a top five player in this draft, right? And again, we don't, the way the draft works is, you know, we no longer draft the top five players. We draft for need. Quarterbacks go way higher than they should relative to how good of a player they actually are. As we know, like only like 40% of quarterbacks actually succeed that are drafted in the first round. So only two of these five guys are actually going to be good, which is kind of crazy to think. And so Michael Parsons is sitting there at 13. And I think Char the Chargers are sitting under this catbird seat because they know the Giants and Philly probably need that wide receiver. And they're okay with not, you know, they don't need a wide receiver. They have Williams and Keenan Allen. Like, they're all set from that standpoint. And so they want to look to the defensive side here. I think Micah Parsons is a pretty good fit for the Chargers. And so his number, though, open 11 and a half, it's on the move. It's going down to 12 and a half. And this is really interesting because, you know, how fur, how much further is it going to go? And so the over 12 and a half now minus 160. But I think this is where the brakes have to get put on it. And I think this is where the market has done a good job of kind of finding the correct spot for a guy relative to, again, what other teams are going to do and where he kind of should be picked, um, you know, relative to who's uh, who's picking. And I think the Chargers here at 13 are the spot for Micah Parsons. Now, it's hard to sort of go, okay, like... You know, am I specifically betting that guy to go in that spot at that time? Like maybe the Chargers, you know, trade back because they think they can get either Parsons somewhere um, later in the draft or what? Again, who knows? Who knows at this point? But I think right in front of Minnesota, again, should be drafting for defense. They should be, you know, essentially looking for anything possible from a defensive standpoint, DB, edge, all of that sort of thing, right? But they could very well grab a offense, uh, excuse me, a linebacker on the outside, you know, on ball, off ball, however you sort of want to put it. And so the Chargers are sitting in front of them nicely. And so maybe Minnesota ends up jumping ahead of the Chargers in order to grab a Parsons, but I don't know that this is a guy that you trade up for. It's a guy you let fall to uh, fall to you, um, you know, in, in, uh, in your lap. And it didn't really make a ton of sense for him to be at 11 and a half um, because again, look at those teams that are around there. Like they're not going to grab a linebacker. The only team who would sort of think about doing it, I think, is Detroit. And we're talking sort of smoke screens and that kind of concept. You know, Detroit, Spielman, middle linebacker, like you can see that he would be like, first thing we're gonna do is grab a, you know, linebacker here, big ten linebacker, boom, Micah Parsons. Like it's a little bit scary uh with regards to him going there. So what I would kind of hope to see maybe is that maybe this market go, you know, as we see the juice on the over here ticking up, maybe we see by the time the draft rolls around, maybe this gets up to 13 and a half, right? It's over 12, 12 and a half minus 160 right now. What if it gets to 13 and a half? And now you get, you know, the idea of maybe Detroit does something crazy and drafts a linebacker in the first, you know, 10 picks, or you're getting that spot at 13 with it. Again, whether it's the Chargers or whether it's another team hopping up in front of Minnesota, I think under 13 and a half would be a good number, but that's not something that's available right now. But it's something that the way that this market is sort of going where people are looking at an off-ball linebacker, value as a position dropping. He didn't play last year, one of these many opt-outs that are involved here. You know, maybe we end up seeing a 13.5. And, and at that point, I think coming back and grabbing under 13.5 isn't a terrible idea when it comes to Parsons. Now, as we get into the rest of the teens here, 
it's a total cluster F, right? Like what's New England going to do? They always trade down. That seems like a thing that they would absolutely do. But when we come into these teens, the 20, like that kind of area, you know, you have your choice here, right? Which would you rather have? Would you rather have the fourth best player at this position, the third best player at this position, or the best player at a position that maybe isn't necessarily valued all that much, right? And so you've got one good safety, apparently, in this draft, right? Moreg Woodard from TCU. He's you know, the only guy that's going to go in the first round, but he's almost definitely going to go in the first round. You can see that as indicated um, by the over-under on safety drafted. The number is a half, right? And the over is minus 240. So the market is telling you a safety is getting drafted. This is the gentleman who is the only safety sort of capable of being drafted. His number has moved from 24 and a half to 26 and a half. But again, I kind of like the idea that, you know, not unicorn from an athletic standpoint, but, you know, a positional standpoint, right? If he's the only safety that's worthy of being in the top round because again, devaluation on safeties, devaluation of linebackers relative to sort of how we used to think. But if you can get a really good player here at a mid teens, late teens, even 20th, right? So I, in my sort of fake mock draft, have him going to Washington. I think that would be a really good fit for Washington. Having a really top end player there, you're getting him in 19. That's a really good you know spot for, a, again, a player who, isn't uh you know somebody that you're dying to get necessarily but is the top player at that position in the country and the other one there is vera tucker who was usc offensive lineman a tackle he's moved into guard so he's got all the skills and the size of a tackle but he's going to play as a guard um he's a guy who i think is interesting um as again a unicorn position there's not going to be a ton of guards there's not going to be any guards other than him drafted in the first round but again we've seen whether you know whether it's uh, quentin nelson with indian Annapolis, a guard can make a pretty big difference, especially with somebody who is mobile as Vera Tucker. And so he's sitting there, his number is 16 and a half. And I think that number is really interesting because that puts him Arizona at 16, Vegas at 17, Arizona. Well, what do we think of with Arizona? We think, you know, high flying offense, all of that kind of stuff. Kyler Murray kind of running for his life a little bit. So I think the offensive line is a good spot for Arizona. And, you know, they're going to do what they can defensively to add different players, but I don't know that there's anything high end there for them in that spot. And again, they have veterans at the skill positions. They don't need to be, you know, reaching for a, you know, the fourth wide receiver in this draft. They don't need to reach for a tight end knowing that, of course, the best tight end is long since gone. They're not going to move up to get a quarterback. I think it's a really good spot for them to grab a really good player on an offensive line that has struggled over the last over the last couple of years. And so Vera Tucker there is actually really interesting to me, but that's going to be one that you're going to sweat the over under 16 and a half. Like that's a little bit dicey, all of that sort of thing. And he's not going to be a guy who's, you know, number one offensive lineman draft, all of that kind of thing. Like it's a tricky spot to bet. It's at that point where we stop trying to pick uh, over-unders on guys because there are, again, so many different parts to this, right? And Vera Tucker's a good sort of case here because, again, what if Arizona drops back two spots? Because, you know, they know Vegas doesn't want a guard necessarily. They don't know Miami's going to go for an offensive tackle. You know, Darisaw is an interesting pick for them potentially in the 18th spot because, again, based on, you know, again, 
very loose mock drafting here. I think he's potentially available to them at 18. So again, Arizona could get the player that they want later on. So again, you kind of have to stay away from that standpoint. So as much as 16 and a half makes sense, the line's right as far as a, play, a team that could pick him right before 16 and a half or a team that can move back. That's a really good example of kind of 50-50 could go either way type of a situation. So the back half of the first round of the draft, how do we how do we bet on this, right? How do we bet this so that A, we're not completely flummoxed every time there's a trade up or a trade down? Because as you know, once we get to that 20 mark, a little bit before, a little bit after, Teams moving up three spots, down four spots, back forth. Yeah, we don't really know, right? We don't know what's going on. We've talked about position scarcity, and now we're going, okay, now it's just a kind of a cluster of dudes, right? Are we getting into wide receivers? Are we getting into defensive linemen? Like, what's going to happen here on this back end? And, of course, in the late round bets, I shift from position number, as in where does a guy get drafted, to players at that position number, right? What, you know, what that means is, okay, you've got all these markets over, under five and a half, this four and a half, that so wide receivers under, you know, over, under four and a half wide receivers, running backs over, under, you know, one and a half or a half, depending on, you know, the juice levels there, offensive linemen drafted. We talked about the safety being over a half defensive linemen drafted four and a half linebackers drafted at four and a half. And so you have to understand who's drafting here. And so the first thing is we see Pittsburgh here at 24. This is a team that, again, you know, functional decision making, eh, maybe because all you've he- all you've heard out of Pittsburgh here is that they're looking to, you know, improve the run game. And what do you do when you try to improve the run game? Well, if you're a smart team, you draft an offensive lineman. If you're a moron, you draft a running back and then watch that guy run directly into defensive lineman because the defensive lineman busted your offensive line up which is exactly what's happened with multiple different guys here for Pittsburgh last season. It wasn't all three of those guys' fault, you know, that they weren't good enough. It was the offensive line's fault. But again, when you're punting down 10 points um, with seven minutes to go in in the fourth quarter, I don't even know if those were the exact numbers, but it was pretty bad, um, (laughs) then, you know, you're probably capable of drafting a running back in the first round. Because otherwise, under a half of a running back, would be absolutely a bet that we would want to make. But the Pittsburgh Steelers are sitting here going like, we don't know what we're doing, and we might draft a running back in the first round. Now, the sick part about that is, it'd be one thing if it was Christian McCaffrey, and there was one guy, and that's it. Or, you know, fill-in-the-blank guy. And, you know, sure, all of those guys went too high. Saquon Barkley went too high at number one. Ezekiel Elliott went too high. Christian McCaffrey went too high. All of that sort of thing. But all those guys probably should have gone in the first round. Does Najee Harris need to go in the first round? Does Travis Etienne need to go in the first round? I don't really think so. And then you've got Javante Williams at 42.5. So these numbers are Harris 28.5, Etienne 34.5, and and Williams at 42.5. And And those are all interesting because they're all outside of the top uh, round here with the exception of Harris. So obviously the assumption is that Harris is the best running back of the group, but I don't know that that's necessarily the case. But again, I have to base a lot of this on who Pittsburgh thinks is good. Now you'd think they'd want a pass catching running back, in which case Williams would probably fit that bill a lot better than Harris would. Even ETN would fit that bill a lot better than Harris would. So again, you kind of have to stay away from this. But what I would do is I bet the under one and a half knowing that no other team is as dumb as Pittsburgh is and would be willing to do that. Now you're paying a ton of juice here. It's minus 200, but listen, we're also taking some shots on some plus money stuff in this draft. And so minus 200 here, 
100 bucks for 50, 20 for 10, all of that kind of, you know, however you want to sort of parse it. I think that's as good of a, you know, we never use the term lock here, but I think that's a really, really good bet based on the fact that these other teams, as we get lower and lower, they're not going to draft a running back. They are not that dumb, right? These are what, this is why these teams are in this position because they're in a really good, they're probably really good at this, right? Like even Cleveland, a team that, you know, we long sort of mock, they're not going to bat, first of all, they're not going to bat, uh, draft a running back because of they, they have two already, two top tier running backs. But, you know, Baltimore's not going to do it. New Orleans isn't going to do it. Green Bay's not going to do it. They certainly have done it, you know, uh, loaded up on running back before. Uh, Buffalo, not going to do it. Even though people sort of clamoring, oh, we need a running back, we need a running back. Buffalo's too smart to draft a running back in the first round. I'd be really disappointed if they did. KC, Tampa Bay, just not going to do it. And so, unfortunately, Pittsburgh sits there and the sort of yes-no prop, you know, prop of them grabbing a running back, I'd like to think that they're not going to. I'd like to think that there's value at under 0.5 and maybe that's worth a little bit of a sprinkle because it is um you know jacked up a little bit we are getting plus money with it which again normally we shouldn't be um but again who knows what's going to go on with pittsburgh but you have all these other teams and they're just looking for depth at this point because you don't make it into the top eight and you know jacksonville's down here because of a draft trade uh draft pick trade and i imagine they'll probably go for a wide receiver that's where we get into the wide receiver what's going to happen there tennessee could go for a wide receiver um you know jacksonville wide receiver and are we going to hit that four and a half five and a half level when it comes to wide receivers you know i'd like to think under four and a half is a good bet unfortunately you know we're gonna have three down here in i think the first 12 picks now you're just going to have to get through a lot of picks with some decent guys, right? Terrence Marshall for LSU, Ladarius Tony from Florida, and even Rashad Bateman, who you're hearing a lot of stuff about. And so I think I'd rather just attack it from grab Bateman under 38 and a half, and then just kind of hope the hype, if you will, um, is uh, is warranted when it comes to his draft place. But all these other teams, what are they going to do? They're just going to add depth. And you know, where do you add depth? Well defense right a lot of these guys are spoke these teams have guys that are you know positions that are spoken for on offense but you can never have too many defensive linemen you can never have too many linebackers and so when you get late in this draft you then i think have to decide i should say the first round of this draft from a betting standpoint you have to decide okay like what's the run late in the draft going to be is it going to be wide receivers or is it going to be teams just loading up here on defensive linemen or linebackers and i think there's more of a scarcity um when it comes to linebackers here that you know scarcity sort of creates um urgency and so when you've got okay 20 slots here essentially or you know the 20 through 32 slots here uh in the 20s you know you're like okay well let's start firing off here on some guys that we can use and maybe it's not even, you know, a starting position. Maybe they don't have that guy penciled in. Maybe they don't have a glaring hole. But it's better than kind of just grabbing a third wide receiver or, you know, a running back or something along those lines. So I think the defensive line and the linebacker positions are going to be the sort of sweats that you're going to want in, uh, in the back end of this draft. And then it just becomes up to you. Who do you think is going where? So when it comes to defensive line, I don't have my first defensive lineman going to like number 17, and that's Quiddy Pay. And he's at 19 and a half in the marketplace. I have him going 17 to Vegas. Again, not much of an edge there. It's not like we're dying to bet the over-under when it comes to him. I think he's a pretty good bet. Again, where these um, sportsbooks get beat here 
is sort of counterintuitive to maybe what you think. They get beat by these favorites. They get beat by people willing to lay 450 bucks to win 200 bucks on the first defensive lineman drafted because Quiddy Pay is that much better uh, from a or more reliable from a prospect standpoint than Phillips or Barmore or Rousseau, right? And you and I just sort of skim past that, or maybe we take a shot on a guy like Phillips or something like that, and we end up losing. But the book is fine with that because they know they're going to have to pay the guys who took pay uh, <laughs> at minus 225. Same thing with the running back drafted one, right? If we're all on my under one and a half, minus 200, like if you have the money to make that work, again, low limits, so there's only so far you can go with it, that's where you're going to be able to beat the books because they're never going to get this completely right. They're never going to bet these high or uh, make these lines high enough. So defensive lineman here, I like this under four and a half because I don't know outside of, you know, again, if this was a draft that had a bunch of guys in the defensive line in the top 10, it'd be a different story. But we're not going to see our first one, I don't think, until like number 15. So now we're limiting, okay, we're going to need four more defensive linemen after that in order to beat us. I'm pretty okay with that. Now it's minus 150. The juice has been put there for a reason because I think we're on the right track to something. Linebackers drafted. Different story. I think there's a ton of potential linebackers here. And I've got six that are, uh, excuse me, five that I think are pretty much, I don't want to say locks for sure, but Parsons, 11 and a half, 12 and a half is his number. Owosu, Karamoa, 19 and a half. Um, Collins, Zavin Collins, I think is really interesting for an under because he's at 29 and a half in the market. I think he goes lower than people think. So again, good spot for him to bet, you know, bet the under on him. But again, third linebacker taken there. Ojolari at 31 uh, is his number. Uh, I think he gets picked a little bit higher than that. And then Davis is a guy that a lot of people are into. His number is 34 and a half, which is obviously outside of the first round. And then Cox and Bolton are also possibilities. You never know who teams are going to like here. But I think that number could get over four and a half. And at plus 130, I think that's an interesting bet from a linebacker standpoint. So I think that's how you have to treat the back end of the first round um, with, you know, again, some different bets than when you're top of the draft, you know, there's less sort of craziness happening. Second half of the draft or second half of the first round is where things get a lot more loose. So let's wrap this all up here. Um, we're going to want a mix of, you know, minus money plays. We're going to want some plus money plays. We're going to be able to sort of rely on some things to cash and while also taking some shots to sort of best enjoy this draft. And again, your book's going to have a bunch of different options, it's going to have a bunch of different prices potentially from where, you know, from what I'm going to sort of tell you here and what I have told you. But fundamentally, use sort of the, your best logic that you know we talked about early on in this podcast to make the decisions for yourself and maybe you know I'm going to give out a handful of bets here and some you're going to take and some you're not going to take so again there's no way like anything else there's no way to fully tail anybody when it comes to this so use what makes sense to you right and again I can say okay I've got fields plus 150 if you have access to that under three and a half plus 160 that apparently Circa has adjusted to feel free to hop on that. And then if you also have Trey Lance at plus 375, hop on that too. So now I've got both of those guys and that's essentially created a no Mac Jones bet for me, right? And I'm essentially, you know, Fields or Lance, I win, uh, essentially win a unit. And if it's 
Mac Jones, then I will lose a unit and a half. So it's essentially a minus 150 that it's not going to be Mac Jones. Pitts, um, arguably sort of my best bet of the group there, under five and a half at minus 140. Chase has gotten out of range when it comes to under six and a half, right? I talked about the idea that again, if something happens with the fourth pick overall and now Cincinnati takes Pitts and now Miami, what, what could they possibly do? Maybe there's another team that swoops in for a quarterback. Uh, I just think that there's, again, more opportunities for Pitts to go in the four or five range than there is for Chase, um, you know, relative to pricing. Again, right, we're getting minus 125 with Pitts versus minus 200 with Chase. I'd rather go with one guy in that section over needing both guys to hit in the top six. Like that seems like a bit of a high wire act to try to ask both those guys to be in the top six, even though, again, most of the uh, mock drafts say that that's going to be the case. As for Sewell, right, same sort of deal. Do I want to go over five and a half on Sewell? No, because again, I'm kind of already assuming that he's going to be over five and a half um, if Pitts is going to be under five and a half. And so again, I don't want to have to shoehorn, okay, it has to be exactly Pitts, Sewell, Chase, I win all those bets where I might as well just kind of make three bets all in one when it comes to pits because again, I like that number better than I do uh, any of these others. And again, I will be fading Sewell from a standpoint of I'd rather just take a shot with Slater being the first offensive lineman drafted at plus 300. Again, that's a plus money play versus some of these minus money plays um, in the mix here. Uh, before that, Sertain, really interesting at under 10.5, but again, minus 160, not quite what I'm looking to play. This might change if we hear something more. If it just becomes more and more of a certainty and the line doesn't change here, that's something that I want to play. We're waiting on Micah Parsons at uh, thir- see if it goes to 13.5. Um, it'll be interesting to see, sort of from a sharp standpoint, like, will it ever get that? you know, far? Or has everybody seen sort of what I'm seeing here with Parsons potentially um, being a landing spot for the Chargers at 13? Um, Talked about the wide receivers. Again, this is a bet that I haven't made because I can't find a market for it necessarily. Um, If I had to bet one way or another as far as which guy at under 11 and a half, again, I would take Waddle. But if you can find Waddle over Smith at a plus price, that's certainly worth doing, I think. Um, down the line here a little bit, you know, talked about Morig Wooten under 26 and a half. I think that's a really good bet. Collins under, uh, 25 and a half, I think is now the number I talked about it being 29 and a half. I think that, I think that's moved. I think that's indicative of, um, where he's headed. I think I like, you know, I think that there's a real chance that he ends up in the top 20 when all is said and done. And actually, um, you know, again, something worth kind of keeping an eye on, especially from a long shot standpoint. Saving Collins is one of the best linebackers in the country last year. Obviously, Parsons wasn't in the mix last year. 16 to 1 for Collins to end up being the top linebacker. I would say in the category of like, you never know, Collins 16 to 1 is probably the best of the long shots. Because again, it's a linebacker market. You never know kind of what's going to happen with Parsons. What if the Chargers don't take him at 13? What if the Lions certainly don't grab him in the first round? Now you get into a sort of a weird zone here, 17, 18, 19. Like who knows who's going to get picked at any given time. And all it takes is somebody really liking Collins and the league in general sort of poo-pooing, if you will, the idea that an off-ball linebacker um, should be even drafted that high. And so, you know, again, um, you know, kind of two things happening at once there. If we're if we're looking to end up 
betting under 13 and a half with Parsons, you know, maybe sort of a backup plan that maybe something crazy happens at 16 to one. Obviously wouldn't put a full unit on that by any stretch of the imagination. Um, Phillips over two, 22 and a half, I think is an interesting bet um, as a guy who seems to be slipping um, down boards. People not really sure from a physicality standpoint, is he, uh, he's added a bunch of weight. They're not really sure. Okay. Like, you know, basically there's some question marks. Anybody with question marks, um, I'm looking to maybe fade. Uh, again, it's information, right? Is it, you know, teams, you know, for lack of a better term, pardon the French here, shitting on a guy, or is it, uh, you know, evaluators going like, I'm not really sure because the evaluators see what a lot of the team evaluators see as well. Um, and then Terrence Marshall under 35 and a half, this in lieu of the first wide receiver, not first wide receiver, but the total wide receivers picked. Um, maybe he ends up going in the first couple of picks in the second round. Maybe he goes at the end of the first round. I think he's probably the difference maker when it comes to that over under wide receivers um, bet. So I'll take him under 35 and a half sort of you know, playing both sides, if you will, uh, in that department. Um, first defensive lineman drafted pay at uh, minus 225. Again, a lot of juice. Feels like, don't want to use the L word, but feels like a bit of a Drew Lock in this situation. Uh, first defensive player drafted. Again, no high profile defensive lineman. The linebackers, you know, there's some concerns about sort of positionally how important that is. And then it becomes Horn versus Sertan. Do you want to go first defensive player drafted Horn plus 650 or grab him first cornerback plus 225? See if something wacky happens with Horn. Have a little bit of a feeling on that one. Again, this is based on no inside information at all. I just know that JC Horn was a baller, not to say that Sertain wasn't, but again, you never know with you know Alabama DBs. It's a lot easier to look good at Alabama than it is at South Carolina. Um Talk about the first uh, linebacker drafted, first running back drafted. I haven't actually mentioned this again. If Pittsburgh doesn't take a running back, and you know, again, you can see them sort of going like Najee Harris is our guy, you know, yeah, running, you know, running over dudes and like that whole sort of attitude. I think Javante Williams, I have him at plus 600. If you can get it anywhere near that, I think that's kind of worth a fun flyer just to see what happens. Obviously, I could totally see Jacksonville, the top of the second round, which I think is kind of interesting, grabbing ETN to sort of go, okay, now we've got Trevor Lawrence and ETN like back together again, you know, da-da-da-da-da. But I think Javante Williams ends up being the best running back. Does that mean anything when it comes to um this draft no again we're not going to be refunded when four years from now everybody wants javante williams in you know the first or second round of their fantasy draft and not those other two guys doesn't really matter all that much talked about offensive lineman slater plus 300 uh as a play there as for number of players drafted in round one uh running backs minus 200 under one and a half again if you're feeling frisky or more frankly if you're if you trust pittsburgh not to be stupid Go ahead and grab the under uh, 0.5 at a uh, plus, uh, I think it's like 170, something along those lines. Interesting um, sort of bet there just on what Pittsburgh might do. Um, talk about wide receivers drafted. I do kind of think under four and a half has a little bit of value at plus 155, but I'm going to pass on that and just kind of ride that Terrence Marshall situation. Um, offensive lineman drafted. Uh, number six and a half right now. Uh, let's see. Let's count them up here. One, two, three four, five. Um, again, could I see a sixth pick? Absolutely. Do I think it's going over six and a half? I kind of don't see that. But again, once we get into the late rounds or the late part of the round, first round, 
It gets really dicey, and, and that's a position of depth, right? Offensive line, defensive line, linebacker positions of depth where the good teams are going to want to still add to their cadre of talent in those positions. Talk to safety. Again, another minus 240, big-time price along with Pay. But again, like Pay Morig, uh, definitely a guy who uh, is going to be in the first round. I also like him under 26 and a half. Uh, there as well and defensive lineman drafted talked about it four and a half I think is the number again dicey this you know this is one where you sort of have to pick do you think it's going to be a lot of offensive linemen or a lot of defensive linemen or a lot of linebackers and you can kind of combine the two right it's offensive linemen over six and a half linebackers over four and a half both of those aren't going to cash so you have to pick one or the other I just happen to think that linebackers are the ones that are going to go in this one over four and a half is a play for linebackers there while under four and a half is the play when it comes to the defensive linemen as they say in hockey let's do that hockey all right, let's squeeze in a little. Let's do that hockey. For some reason, Apple was slow to distribute the podcast yesterday, so hopefully you either caught it on Spotify, any of the other uh, distribution uh, apps, but you didn't really miss much when it comes to actual betting that we were going to do for last night. Talked about Chicago uh, needing plus 120 to get in a range for us um, from a value standpoint. Kind of crazy when it came to Nashville being the same price as they were at home for the previous game. Never got to plus 120. Uh, unfortunate, obviously, just from the fact that Chicago wins the game in overtime. Wild game. Nashville up 4-1. to one. I actually stopped watching it until um, saw that it was 4-3. to three. Went back. Of course, they tie it. They go to overtime. They win the game. But Nashville had the advantage. 2.62 to 1.59 in the expected goals for. 16-8 to eight in the high danger chances. But again, Chicago does what they do. They do some converting, and it's 3-3 in the high danger chances converted. And that, of course, is what leads this game to overtime. An epic collapse from Nashville at a time of year where, yeah, they still get one point, but every point matters um, in the standings, especially with Dallas coming up hard behind them. And, of course, even Chicago, right, thinking that they have a chance to still be able to get that four spot in the division. Um, so, again, you know, wish it had gone to plus 120, you know, looking back on it, we don't often get those where we get a four to one comeback and win despite not getting, uh, not deserving it. So um, kind of appropriate that we didn't end up betting that in the end, especially considering the metrics behind the game. Edmonton and Montreal talked yesterday about how at minus 120 on what, Tuesday night, Edmonton was the bet because, you know, we start factoring in all of the rest issues, et cetera, et cetera. But then it starts to feel a lot like the Toronto-Vancouver situation where we're creating a narrative beyond the uh, metrics, beyond the model, right? And it's obviously a less publicized one. It's not as sort of obvious with regards to COVID versus just having a ton of games in a short period of time. And then, the you know, the line moves to minus 145. And I say on the podcast, like, to be honest with you, if it had been plus 125 for Montreal last night, probably would have recommended that bet. That's the thin line when we're talking about hockey and hockey pricing or money line pricing um, for any sport, right? All it takes is a 20 to 25 cent line move for you to sort of change your perspective on it. That being said, stayed away from it altogether. Just too much going on. Really interested to watch the game to see how it shook down. And sure enough, Montreal whether it was just getting a day off without having to travel, uh, without playing, obviously, a back-to-back, -back, you know, 
they end up sort of rallying here. And 2.22 to 1.08 in the expected goals for it, even strength. That's very much in line with sort of, you know, what you'd expect, right? Montreal, the better five-on-five team, just not in the last eight games or so. Uh, 12 to 6 in the high danger chances, and they convert those high danger chances at a high rate of converting three of them to Edmonton's one. Edmonton almost tries, you know, almost pulls off a, a Blackhawks where they get down 4 to 1 and storm back to make it 4 to 3, um, coming up just short and so you know this ends up being kind of a rare public side when it comes to the nhl and a lot of people come on they'll sort of tell you about this how this whole public versus um you know uh you know fading the public concept essentially right is just bs and a lot of cases that's true because if you're looking every single day for a you know sharp versus public type side you're just not going to find it but listen we go through it every week in the nfl where we can pick out one or two games that everybody's on one side and it creates value on the other side and i think we see that in hockey as well and we've seen it three times already this week we saw it sunday we saw it tuesday we saw it wednesday and again there's not one tonight there's probably not going to be one tomorrow night but you know you know, I get off the podcast, the day start, you know, accumulates, bets accumulate, and you see, okay, 85% of the money, 85% of the population are on Edmonton tonight against the Oilers. And sure enough, right, the line moves accordingly, values created on Montreal, and they happen to win. Now, it doesn't, you know, nothing was guaranteed. It wasn't guaranteed that Montreal was going to win the game. But again, if they win half the time, you're profitable by a quarter at plus 125, right? Whereas if Edmonton wins half the time, you're losing money and it's just that simple so why be on the side that loses half the time it needs to be that much more of a certainty that Edmonton's going to win the game and I think we did a decent job yesterday you know for those who were able to hear it who aren't Apple people and listen I'm an Apple person I was wondering where the hell the podcast was on my feed you know you're looking at it you go okay um you know we, we sort of sussed out um, something that maybe we didn't want to be on, the same way that we did on Sunday when it comes to the Leafs and the Canucks. Uh, as for tonight, wrote two previews for the Action Network, Detroit and Dallas. Yes, we're back on Detroit. The scene shifts, if you will, from two games in Dallas to two games in Detroit. Obviously, the line moves accordingly, but there was value when it was in Dallas, and there's value in it in, when it's in Detroit. I don't expect to see Jonathan Bernier in the Freaky Friday body swap um, situation that he's got going on with Thomas Grice and Grice is back in again Dallas you know they win these two games you know deserve to win the first game more than they did the second game even though the first game was the one that Detroit was closer to actually winning and so we see here for game three, you know, are they going to be without hints? Are they going to be out with Haskin in again, which are two key members of that team as you know, they're already without Radulov obviously without Sagan like the depth of this team is, you know, being tested here. And it's not like Detroit can't play with this team. And we're getting, you know, over plus 150 here at home with Dallas. So looking to make that play. And then the other preview that I wrote was Ottawa and Vancouver. Again, classic letdowny type spot here. Again, that's narrative-y. I completely get that. But the metrics back it up as well. Ottawa's the better team at even strength than the Canucks. And yes, they just beat the Leafs twice. But they weren't the better team at even strength in either of those games either. So it's not like we're coming off and trying to fade this team that has been playing well they've just been playing well enough that they're able to take advantage of poor goaltending from toronto now does ottawa have the goaltending well the answer to that as we always know is maybe 
and you know we don't really know game to game and now this is one of these rare instances where they're actually shorter than a plus 150 underdog but i'm willing to play that here um because again I, i've got ottawa as a better team at even strength yes the sort of home ice element matters uh ottawa's 0-5 against the canucks this season first three games were in that start of the season where the goaltending was an atrocity and vancouver rolled them three straight games in vancouver and then things got closer in ottawa about a month and a half or you know, a little over a month ago and two 3-2 games that went to overtime and a shootout. So I think that was more indicative of kind of the equal uh, equality of these two teams. And again, we're getting plus 120, plus 125 when it comes to the Senators. So that's worth a bet for me. Um, strangely enough, and maybe like the market has finally or rarely turned um, on Toronto. Uh, I've got this number at minus 125 as a pure money line um, number. So minus 125 Toronto, plus 125 for Winnipeg. So this number is minus 140 for Toronto. So certainly not a bet um, on Toronto at minus 140. If it fell down to minus 125, we'd have to bet Toronto there. But definitely not a bet on Winnipeg. A lot of people are going to be wanting the home underdog here at a plus 120 type price. But again, value here, I shouldn't even say value, but appropriate price is plus 125. Value here is something closer to plus 140, plus 145. So uh, I don't think we're going to ever get there when it comes to um, the Winnipeg Jets, which, you know, again, strange circumstance when it comes to uh, the Leafs actually being almost fair value here on the road against the Jets. But again, that's the case uh, when when you blow five games in a row here the way that Toronto has. Uh, elsewhere in the Central Division, you got Columbus and Tampa. What are you going to do? You're going to bet Tampa Bay minus two something here, um, you know, minus three something. Yeah, I think it's minus 320, minus 300, something along those lines. I'm not doing that, but I'm certainly not betting on the Columbus Blue Jackets at this point. I'd love to be able to fade the Blue Jackets the rest of the way here, but again, that's going to mean um, putting up three to one uh, from a price standpoint. And then Florida, Carolina, uh, my number is 103. So again, a pure pick them here. Um, minus 120 is the price for Carolina on the road against Florida at uh, even money. So again, you're not getting any value when it comes to the underdog here with Florida, and you're certainly not getting a fair, you know, quote unquote fair price with Carolina either. So that's a stay away. So just the two games there that I wrote about in the Action Network for tonight. Hope you enjoyed that episode. Nice to talk about the NFL for the first time in about a month and a half or so. Uh, draft in a week, so keep your head on a swivel when it comes to news, notes, and price movement there. Follow along at MRussAuthentic on Twitter. Until tomorrow, I'll see you at the window.